0: Suncast is brought to you by Sungrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey, welcome to the inaugural episode of Suncast. I'm so grateful you decided to join us today, and I really look forward to sharing time with you. Hopefully, you've taken some time to listen to the About Me episode. It's the one that starts with triple zero in the title. Suncast is a weekly conversation with solar industry experts and thought leaders that gives you the tools, insights, and resources to lead the solar revolution happening in Latin America, the fastest growing solar market in the world. Our mission is to help you become a better solar professional and to shine the spotlight on people, companies, and countries you should be watching. The format's mainly interview-based, but will also include original content, monologue, and regular research contributions from industry analysts like today's guest, Greentech Media Research Analyst Adam James. Formats flexible, we'll experiment with different approaches, so please, please, please give us feedback on what works and what doesn't. Here on the podcast, as well as at www.mysuncast.com, we share stories you won't find anywhere else. We're honored to host industry leaders with decades of experience in Latin America and lots of great stories and guidance to share. If you desire to create your own momentum and success in the Latin America solar market, Suncast is designed to elevate your performance and results through delivering current and relevant market data, in-depth research, and personal stories from the front lines. Now, I'm reticent to start out in Episode 1 with an apology for the audio quality, but ironically, this 21st century issue is something we still have to deal with. Such is the case today, as Adam's connection is not entirely perfect. So I ask you to please be kind and generous with your time and critique of this first rodeo and know that the audio quality standards of Suncast are, of course, of supreme importance. I'd also like to mention that this episode was recorded prior to actually naming the show Suncast. We mentioned several times Latin America Solar Update, which is catchy. I give Adam all the credit for that. And we'll actually be using it as a common thread through future episodes with Adam. Sorry for the confusion there. It is in fact called Suncast, not the Latin America Solar Update. With that, Here we go. Let's dive into the first episode of Suncast with Adam James. And please do stick around to the end. You don't wanna miss out a chance to win a gift card as part of our launch. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Adam James, Senior Solar Analyst for Greentech Media Research, covers all the global downstream markets. Adam is a good friend of mine. We've known each other for a while. I've gotten to know some of the work that he does. I know that he cut his teeth in Washington, DC as a research analyst doing energy policy and uh, specializes specific in uh, clean energy and international climate policy. He currently carries a torch for Greentech Media in Latin America and other emerging markets especially with regard to his signature quarterly research report, the Latin America PV Playbook. We'll talk a lot about that today. Adam also founded the Clean Energy Leadership Institute, a not-for-profit organization in Washington DC devoted to providing young people with professional skills and an interdisciplinary community. Now, Adam does a biweekly article on Green Tech Media that in and of itself, I wouldn't say is responsible for this podcast, but appropriately named the Latin America Solar Update uh, provides a conversation between he and his listeners to uh, understand what's going on in the market as he sees it. I'm happy to have him as a first guest on the show, and I hope he can become a regular contributor to my own LATAM Solar Updates. We'll draw some inspiration today, Adam, from some of your most recent
1: updates. Is that okay? Yeah, definitely, and uh, thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to be on the inaugural episode, and I think that this and the broader initiative around Latin America solar coverage is really sorely needed, so thanks for all the work that you're doing here, Nico. Likewise, Adam, thanks for providing
0: such great content. All right, we're gonna jump right in. Are you ready? Let's uh, look at some of the downstream markets that you cover. I know that LatAm is not the only thing that you are looking at, which means you're evaluating some other emerging markets. Can you tell me what excites you in particular about Latin America that you do not see in other emerging
1: markets? Definitely. So I think let's just take first this by the numbers because I think there's a quantitative way and a qualitative way to look at this question. From a quantitative point of view, Latin America is just growing much faster than any other emerging markets. So if you set it next to the Middle East or Africa, for example, it's growing about twice as fast as either of those. Um, So that's the kind of, you know, just looking at the the quantitative growth uh, in the market, Um, it's much more exciting in that sense. But even putting that aside and kind of looking at, like, what is the quality of the markets, I think Latin America really has the advantage of being much more of a sure thing compared to the Middle East and Africa. Uh, A lot of growth in the Middle East in particular is premised upon the execution of some government policies uh, in Saudi Arabia in you know, Egypt in Turkey Uh, And what we've seen is that there are huge administrative challenges to pulling the trigger on those. Whereas in Latin America, uh, conversely, you have these tender processes that are being really well run by local governments. You have unsubsidized growth that's already occurring in a pretty broad based way. Um, So it's not that there aren't challenges in Latin America. There are challenges in every market. But I think Latin America overall is just a much safer bet than a lot of those other emerging markets are, uh, at least if you take a snapshot of them today. Um, And then the last point that I'll make is that it's just a lower barrier to entry to do business in Latin America compared to again especially the Middle East and Africa. Um, culturally there's a lot more things you have to learn and understand in order to do business there. Latin America is kind of more familiar territory especially for uh, companies that come from a European background. Um, we've seen Spanish companies that have been really successful in the region so far and there's some shared uh, cultural links there that make it I think a little bit more of a low-hanging fruit.
0: Hmm. Let me see if I understand. So. Comparing the markets like India, for example, or Southeast Asia can be, we'll call them cultural fortresses, if you will, <laughs> where it's very hard for uh, outside companies to break in. So you're saying it's not so difficult for, quote unquote, outside companies to break into the Latin America market as it might be in, in Africa or India, for example?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's definitely true. I think it's a little bit easier. I mean, it's always difficult to break into an international market, but you want to find uh, a market that's the lowest hang group. And so Latin America kind of meets the criteria for that.
0: Right. And, and not to be confused with not difficult at all, obviously. Uh, I mean, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Latin America and and share that uh, in my resume with a number of friends who were Peace Corps volunteers in Africa. And I can tell you that a lot of the conversations we have around the campfire are very similar in terms of the, the levels of corruption, uh, the levels of, of nepotism and generally the way to do business it, it seems in emerging markets is pretty broadly similar. I'll compare Africa and, and Latin America. Would you say that there are you know, still digging into this first question, Latin America being a, a key contributing market, would you say there are some perhaps some market forces that we don't see right now in uh, other developing markets that Latin America has in its favor besides being the little brother to the United States and perhaps Spain?
1: Yeah. I mean, when you just look at the way that the energy market is set up, I think that the energy market in Latin America is much more uh, structurally kind of poised for expansion than the ones in the Middle East and Africa. In Africa, just as an example, they are, in a lot of cases, rolling out their electricity infrastructure for the very first time, with the notable exception of places like South Africa. Right. Um, but in a lot of those places, I mean, one of the exciting things about them is all of the growth. But it's also, in some ways, it's starting from scratch, and that makes it a little bit more challenging, um, because while you don't wanna be fighting against incumbents, you also do rely on some kind of an infrastructure in place, especially from a regulatory standpoint that you can piggyback off of in order to do development. And Middle East is kind of the same way, You know, they're for the first time really evaluating these questions of how do we expand our electricity infrastructure in a major way. Uh, And, you know, and there are a lot of administrative challenges in doing that. Latin America, on the other hand, while there is a lot of growth uh, that we're expecting from that market, um, in some ways they have a more mature uh, electricity market in many of the countries, particularly the ones where solar is the most uh, the kind of like the best positioned like Mexico and Brazil and Chile. I mean, these are countries that already have a very robust regulatory system in place. And so solar you know, there's a lot of other things to consider here, but just in terms of the regulatory environment that is stepping into those markets are a lot more mature and ready for expansion than places in the Middle East or Africa. That, that has kind of cascading impacts, of course, too, because one of the big questions that you have to deal with as a solar developer is who is your off taker and how creditworthy and how bankable is that off taker. And so the regulatory issue is certainly important just from knowing the rules of the road standpoint, but it's also important to get a feel for who is it that's actually consuming this power and how much can I kind of trust, Uh, that person to be paying their bills. And in places like India and Africa, I mean a lot of those utilities are still really trying to tackle that question of having, of being credit-worthy counterparties for power development. Um, And that's why they're shifting curve compared to the others.
0: Adam, you mentioned expansion. I'd like to hear something that you talked a lot about in recent days. It's kind of the biggest news perhaps, certainly in M&A for Latin America. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the big news for now, and that is the Solar City expansion into Mexico.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great topic. I think it signals something very important, which is that Mexico is a region or a country that is a force to be reckoned with and that Latin America has kind of really and officially turned that corner from what we've been talking about for years, which is this high potential market. Uh, to a market where the action is really starting to happen and that potential is starting to be realized, uh, the SolarCity move makes a lot of sense for them. I mean, it's you know you can kind of think about the move in two ways. One is you know what are the internal forces that are pushing them out, and then second, what are the forces out there that are so attractive to them that make them go to Mexico? Internally, you know, the company has the pressure of the potential decline on the ITC. Um, they're obviously looking for a way to diversify their portfolio. If you look at a lot of their contemporaries, uh, Sungevity and SunEdison, they're, they're all, most other of these other companies already have a presence in multiple markets. So I think that it was inevitable that SolarCity was going to go somewhere. Um, I think the fact that they went to Mexico first, though, tells you a few things about Mexico and where Mexico's at. First point I would make is that for SolarCity. Uh, They wanted to expand into a market where they could ramp very, very quickly. And Mexico fits the bill for a few reasons there. You know, one, in the commercial and industrial space, the tariffs for uh, CNI are a lot more clean cut than tariffs for residential. So while there are some customers in residential who are very, very attractive, it's kind of a much more fragmented market. And we can go into that later, uh, into those tariffs and kind of what they mean. But in CNI, the tariffs are very simple and they're very attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, the market from a credit standpoint is very attractive for CNI because the businesses and small businesses are the ones who will have much more solid credit reports and credit ratings than residential customers. Uh, and three, the total market size overall is larger by itself than the residential market is by itself. So they have a much higher ceiling for expansion than if they'd moved first into residential. And when you combine those factors with just some of the more general factors that are gone that you're allowed to do direct sale um, under the new energy regulations, that you have really high installation rates, about double what you see in Germany. Um, you know, when you combine that with kind of a strong uh, platform for solar expansion, I think it makes sense that that was a low hanging fruit for City to move into.
0: That's excellent. You know, Adam, it occurs to me, and we've talked about this a couple of times, we could probably do an entire episode just on Mexico and and what is happening with the reform, what's happening in CNI, et cetera. seems like it's a pivotal moment right now, especially for CNI in Mexico. What I'm really curious about and something that we're going to touch on in a week's time at Solar Power International is what you see as the beyond-Mexico equation, do you think that SolarCity's entrance into Mexico is a bellwether for C&I across the greater Latin American market? Or is Mexico independently and uniquely primed for C&I where others aren't?
1: I think Mexico is at the front end of the curve, but that there's other countries who have many of the same dynamics going on. If uh, albeit slightly more nascent than we're seeing in Mexico. So in some ways it's kind of like Mexico is leading the pack. Uh, but there are a bunch of other countries that I think will meet that same criteria. Most of central America meets that the same criteria where they have subsidized residential customers. And that means a higher burden on their commercial and industrial customers. So those folks are paying higher tariffs. And again, like in Mexico are also the more creditworthy of the kind of market segments that you would be looking at. Um, You know, Brazil, I think, has a a pretty robust CNI market. I mean, they've got a lot more jaded issues around taxes and regulations that need to get uh, kind of figured out before I think a company like SolarCity would move into that space. Um, And then there's some smaller markets as well. Um, You know, Colombia is still a little bit of a question mark, but I think that could have a lot of potential for this. And Uruguay already has a lot of movement in this space, although it's a relatively small market. So I think Mexico is kind of the most attractive of the CNI markets, um, but it's followed closely by Brazil in terms of total size, and then followed closely by Central America in terms of kind of net attractiveness, I believe.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah, so Latin America is bookended, of course, by Mexico and Brazil. We've been, as long as I've known you and as long as I've been in Latin American market, Brazil and Mexico and Chile are the cornerstones. So it seems like uh, a lot of the predictions coming true, I think we could talk a lot about Predictions for the utility market not necessarily coming to fruition yet, but one of the interesting things that no one ever would have predicted that has come to fruition is this, uh, is the crazy boom that we experienced this year in the now second largest market in Latin America, Honduras. Do you think there's a fundamental mechanism at play in Honduras driving the nearly 600 megawatts of deployment this year?
1: Well, you know the, the government through the government-owned utility Um, Did a lot of direct procurement and signed a lot of contracts uh, at a pretty lucrative rate. And I think that was the initial starter. And then there was a bonus payment that was added on top of that for the first 300 megawatts to connect by August. So that created not only a price uh, incentive, but also a time incentive to complete those projects quickly. Uh, You know, I mean, I am very skeptical about the Honduran market, even after we've seen all this solar installed. um, It's a place where there's a lot of political risk because, you know, normally when you're looking at a market like this, you look at political risk and counterparty risk as if they're separate entities, right? Um, You know, on the one hand, you're worried about what the government's going to do. And on the other hand, you're worried about whether or not your off taker is going to be able to pay you. And in this case, those are the same problem um, because the Honduran government, although it was supposed to have its utility as a privately owned entity uh, and kind of be broken out um, from being vertically integrated that hasn't really happened so the government the regulator and the utility are all the same creature and i think that that has made some people more comfortable with lending to honduras because the government guarantee Uh, It's kind of like Fannie Mae, you know, where it's perceived as being the contracts with ENEE are are perceived as being backed by the Honduran government directly. And to some extent, that's true. But I think you can also look at a lot of the precedent in Honduras and times where they've canceled contracts, where they've changed contract terms. Um, There's been a lot of kind of uncertainty in that market before. And so I'm not actually inspired with a lot more confidence by that situation. Uh, so I think just, you know, the fact that they've deployed a lot of solar very quickly is good from a installed capacity procurement and to the bonus payment that they're offering. But I also think that a lot of our companies, particularly financiers, are underestimating the amount of risk in that market. And, you know, developers and other folks who are building those projects and then selling them don't necessarily have to take that same long view. And so, um, so that's kind of created a situation that is, in my mind, a little bit tenuous, actually. And lastly, we don't really expect Honduras to continue to be a very large market moving forward. We do expect a lot of distributed generation, but I think uh, there's a relatively low horizon for utility scale projects from this point on. Interesting. Adam, one of the things that makes it really interesting for me evaluating as a
0: developer the Honduras market is a mechanism that I would kill to have in Panama, for example, and that's capacity payments. Have you... Done any financial modeling? I mean, I have, and I can speak to it. But I'm wondering if, in your in your analysis of the markets, you look at like financial models for the economic returns of projects in the markets where it looks like they're taking off. Have you done that?
1: Yeah, I mean, capacity payments as a rule make a huge difference for for solar development, and um, and it's kind of an odd thing for them to be excluded as often as they are. I think from uh, from The kind of incentive or tariff mechanism or what they're willing to compensate solar for because solar generally tends to produce at peak Mm -hmm. demand times uh, which is kind of when you're looking at when you're measuring that capacity against um, which means that more often than not solar is directly hedging your uh you know kind of like shaving your peak um, on site um so you know the, the capacity payments is kind of a wonky issue but when you when you unpack it uh it's it's kind of interesting i think um, one point that I would make about capacity payments that um, and to how they can kind of directly impact project economics is that there is no set rule on how you ought to measure a demand charge or a capacity charge or whatever you want to call it for a solar consumer. Um, you could do it based on highest point of consumption over the course of their billing cycle. You could do it based on their average highest consumption over the course of a billing cycle could do it on their average over the course of a month Um, and depending on how you do that calculation solar has a different kind of impact on offsetting um, those costs and so the question of how do you value what solar is bringing to that customer is one that I think is very very germane to not just the Latin America solar conversation but to the conversation about solar that's happening all over the globe.
0: Indeed yeah and and we have to make a distinction obviously for the hearer here that there is a, a big difference in calculation between a demand charge for a commercial user or industrial user and how a utility might calculate capacity payments, which are, or which are a slightly different animal. Uh, one of the things that we will no doubt talk about here on the podcast is uh, a, an alliance that we're forming uh, and, and sort of spurring our industry to take on across Latin America and the Caribbean region called the Latin American Caribbean Solar Alliance. And it's meant to provide a unifying voice. Uh, one of the critical pieces that I see in Central America in particular, where I've spent a lot of time in the last year and a half, is a sense of uh, fear of action due to lack of knowledge. Right. So Panama is a good example. They put a tender in place last year. They put a grid code in place. And when you dig into the grid code, uh, it's a grid code that's rotely copied from South Africa, including bringing over the wrong uh, Hertz specification because it's literally copied from another country without extreme detail uh, coverage in in the code. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and, and so while we acknowledge that that's an that's an error, it's it's an it's an error in the kind that I like to see. It's a it's failure through action versus the rest of Latin America uh, at, at large, which is failure to progress through inaction. And I applaud the economic exercises happening right now in Honduras where they're trying to find a way to make solar work as an alternative generation technology. One of those ways is the capacity payment, and it is arguably calculated in a different way than maybe is uh, the most beneficial for the country or the most beneficial for the generator, but it's calculated. And I can say for sure that if you look at the uh, the gigawatt of uh, licenses in Panama, as an example, uh, they would all be bankable even in today's you know one hundred dollar megawatt hour uh, spot market. If Panama would rightly ascribe capacity as a value that you can quantify and, and put a dollar on in in their calculation of what solar is worth to them, especially in the drought seasons would you agree
1: yeah i think I'm, i agree in part and then and then take it back a step as well to kind of about how we should think about capacity payments because on the one hand i think it's important to note that the smaller the country and the smaller the the grid that you're trying to deal with the less of a capacity value solar is going to be able to provide. And so places like Honduras and Panama, I mean, that's one of the big challenges that they have to deal with is, is how do you think about the firm capacity that you're getting from this resource? Because you have to, I think it's fair to give it something, um, but you can't give it the same amount of credit that you would give to a coal plant or gas plant because of their production cycles. But one interesting thing, uh, and this pertains to CPAC, which is the regional interconnection for transmission, um, that has such potential, I think, to open up the market is that if you were able to buy and sell renewable power on that in a in a truly open way, if, if CPAC rated like an ISO or an RTO does in the United States, you would be able to justify a much higher capacity payment for each of those solar generators. And the reason is, is because the larger the geographic area that you're dealing with, the more likely it is that solar will be producing at a given time or wind will be producing at a given time, whereas the smaller the grid, the lower the likelihood of that is. And the capacity payments really at the end of the day, a lot of times are just based on this kind of probabilistic assessment of when is that power going to be producing? Um, and just to like kind of explain that out in a little bit more depth, I mean, if you only had one solar plant in all of America, and a cloud moved over that solar plant, all of a sudden game over, right? Like no more solar power, that would knock a few points off the amount of firm capacity you can expect from that plant on a given year. But if you have 50 solar plants and one in every single state, then just because a cloud moves over one, it doesn't mean a cloud moves over all of them. And so the kind of aggregate approach that you can take towards thinking about solar is a lot different when you go up that geographic level. And so I think that that points to one interesting you know, phenomena here, which is that we've built out this regional transmission network or we're starting to build out this regional transmission network in Central America. What can we do in order to make that a real working functional entity that actually does what it's supposed to do, which is better integrate solar, not just from a technical standpoint, but from like a market and portfolio management standpoint.
0: That is extremely interesting. And it's a question that is um, that is going to take more than a few years for Central America to work out, uh, unfortunately, right now. But again, as I I mentioned, and something that we're all uh, as active participants in the market aware of, we need more uh, of a unified voice. We need to be able to take the lessons learned from the UK, perhaps, uh, Hawaii, certainly as an island nation, uh, in terms of these integration challenges, and apply them to Central America. So
1: I would go a step further and say that Latin America is pioneering some things that hopefully we'll see replicated elsewhere in the world. So taking Chile as an example, their auction process that they've put in place that has different talks uh, that have you know created this focus on who can reliably deliver power when in some ways that's a really innovative and market leading approach towards thinking about resource development and you know with brazil doing their solar only auctions their kind of technology specific auctions i think what we're starting to see is that in some ways latin america is thinking about power development in a more mature way than a lot of other markets are today um Europe is being pushed into that position because of the amount of deployment that they currently have and they're, they're having to deal with that question in some ways kind of with a gun to their head, you know, the like the burning platform approach, whereas Latin America is looking at it in a more aspirational way, right? It's not the burning platform. It's the the bright vision, you know, the, the great hope. Um, and so I think that that's something that is a real positive about the region and one thing that makes to refer to your very first question latin america so exciting is that these these markets are entirely unsubsidized and what we're going to see in latin america today is what we're going to see in the the globe you know in 5 10 15 years so that's what you know latin america in some ways is leading the market in that way
0: indeed well adam um i think that you and i as we often do could probably talk for an hour or more here um we're gonna have to bring you back for a part due and have another uh another chat a fireside chat with adam james i want to jump towards the end of some questions that i want to have at the end of all of of, of all of these sessions here where we so we want to focus on market knowledge right and then uh at times we'll have uh folks like adam on who are giving us real deep uh specific quantifiable data and at other times it'll perhaps be a Project developer like myself who's really talking about stories from the front lines. Um, but in any case, we want to look at learning, leadership, and legacy, and how can we really help instill a sense of courage and a sense of, uh, uh, of confidence in that developer or that sales guy who or, or gal who's looking to Latin America as the next place where they can make their mark I know that you do a lot of reading, uh, Adam, and and a lot of us are astonished just at how much you can consume in general. I'd love to know, can you name a couple of books or blogs, articles, tools, tips that you've discovered or perhaps created that have impacted the way you understand the market and and maybe share how they've impacted you?
1: Sure. The two things that come to mind, uh, one is that I can kind of save everybody else some trouble here. I do, as you mentioned at the top, a Latin America solar update every two weeks where I run through all the major stories and I think put together that newsletter has really helped me in, in understanding where the market is today. There's not a, a week that goes by when I'm working on that, when I, I don't have to cut out about 70% of the things that I find, which has really been a great indication of how rapidly things are moving. And- one thing that I've tried to discipline myself into doing with that is looking for one story that nobody else is really talking about. Uh, and I think that when you start looking for those kinds of things in Latin America, what you find is that there's kind of even more action than you suspect, because a lot of times mainstream the mainstream solar media coverage of Latin America right now all kind of gravitates towards the major stories about the major markets. But sometimes if you dig a little deeper, you find that there's some really, really interesting things happening uh, in individual countries. So that's one thing that I would point to um, and encourage everybody to sign up for on the on my tiny letter site. The other one is to really take a look at the outlooks that are coming out, not necessarily from the energy industries, but from different utilities and regulators about the capacity retirements and the capacity additions that they see in the pipeline over the next few years. I think one thing that is really helpful for really understanding the context in different markets is getting a handle on. at a a nodal level, substation by substation, getting a sense of where are the retirements and where are the additions necessary from a capacity standpoint. Um, Because I think there's a lot of opportunities for PV development at specific places uh, that you might miss if you just look at the market in average, you know um, There might be some markets where they only need a hundred megawatts And so you don't look there because you only look at the one that has two gigawatt demand But then when you open up these files and you take you see that that market with the needs two gigawatts already has four gigawatts in the pipeline And it's way oversubscribed whereas that market that only needs a hundred megawatts has almost nobody operating there And we've seen a few markets kind of sneak in that way, right? Um, Bolivia Venezuela are really good examples of that um, where there's multi-million dollar opportunities that sometimes get overlooked so those are the two things that I would, I would encourage people to take a look at. The first one is the the tiny letter news roundup that I do. And then the second one is to take a look at the outlooks from the regulators and from the utilities on, uh, on grid requirements and kind of what they need from a capacity standpoint and where.
0: Boy, I hope that no one fell off their chair right now with the wallop of insight and wisdom that Adam just delivered. I mean, that is just golden. If you guys aren't listening, then you need to go back and, and listen to the last two and a half minutes because it was worth sitting in on the first ever Latin America solar update. Hey Adam, I think that you're doing great work and I'm curious, when you look out over the trajectory of your career, hundred years from now, what do you hope to be remembered for?
1: Well, I would like to uh, have been at the forefront of what's the largest global solar market in a hundred years. Um, I hope that things are still coming in Latin America and it's going to be really interesting I think to be looked back on as one of the folks who was on the ground floor there. Uh, Maybe bigger picture than that, I mean, I have other areas that I'm really interested in. Uh, As you mentioned at the top, the the Clean Energy Leadership Institute, you know, a nonprofit that we have in in Washington, D.C., training young people. One of the big goals there is that the folks who are going through the program today uh, are developed relationships that, that in 10, 15 years when they're in a position where they're making decisions are going to positively impact the trajectory uh, of the world from a standpoint of enacting policies to deal with climate. Um, and so uh, whether I'm remembered for that or not, uh, either way is fine with me as long as some of that stuff actually gets done. Uh, I hope that's a, a positive impact that I've had on things moving forward.
0: Amazing. That's inspiring right there, Adam James hey i'm gonna uh I want to wrap up at the end of of each segment with uh, what I call hot or not and then we'll roll into the wrap up and a bold prediction so I'm gonna call out six possibly seven haven't counted them markets and you'll have ten seconds or less to explain the reason for your answer hot or not starting with your bold prediction of an un- untapped market in your latest solar update Argentina.
1: All right, I'm going to say hot, but I'm going to say hot with a caveat, which is that it's hot for Argentinians, not so much hot for anybody else.
0: All right. Good. Thank you. El Salvador.
1: El Salvador, I'm going to say lukewarm. Uh, I know that's not really one of my options, but they're still lukewarm. They are in the process of determining some of their grid regulations, which could really accelerate the market once they're up and running. But uh, they've been about to pass those grid regulations for something like two years, so I'm going to put that in the lukewarm category because it is not quite hot, not quite not.
0: All right. And in my game, it's either hot or it's not. So El Salvador, not.
1: Panama. I'm going to say not, actually, perhaps somewhat controversially. Uh, On the utility scale side, the disaster that was their tender process um, and the amount of risk that is going on in project development have really stalled things out on the utility scale side. And on the distributed generation side, things should, by all accounts, be moving in a positive direction. They have a good policy landscape set up, some some pretty solid tax incentives, but it just has been incredibly difficult to get off takers to sign long-term contracts. And so the market is moving, but it's not moving nearly as quickly as we would have hoped for it to. So there's some action there, but not enough to rise to the level of being a really truly hot market for me.
0: Oh, all right. And that was 20 seconds for a knot. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna jump to the to the big three as we round out our first ever hot or not Brazil.
1: Hot. Warming up, definitely hot. All the news out of Brazil in the last two months has been positive news, uh, and they've started to find some ways to overcome some of the things that were major barriers a a few months ago, even. So I I think Brazil is definitely on the up and up. That's got a hot rating from me.
0: Excellent. If they could just balance out the, the real, we'd be wonderful in Brazil. Mexico.
1: Mexico hot. Uh, As of today, they have passed the new energy reform regulations. So we'll start to see some of the projects that have been in the pipeline moving forward with a little bit more certainty. And the distributed generation market has been growing quarter over quarter uh, at a pretty incredible pace, even though there's a lot of headwinds. So I think as soon as, uh, like Brazil, as soon as those things, some of those macro issues calm down, uh, we should see the market take off. um, And we expect it to lead the entire region out to 2020.
0: Excellent. And rounding it out, Chile the largest market in Latin America by pipeline.
1: I'm going to give it hot for 2015 and then a cooling down after that point. So we're expecting it once again to be over a gigawatt, uh, you know, or once again to be over half the market this year at over a gigawatt. Um, but after that to be somewhere in the neighborhood of four to 600 megawatts per year, which of course is a lot, but not by previous standards, um, out to 2020 as they shift more to an auction based process for power procurement.
0: Good, good deal, thank you so much, Adam. Hey, uh, as we wrap up, I want to ask uh, give you an opportunity first of all, I want to thank you uh, for your time. Uh, I know that you're busy with a lot of stuff, both personally and professionally with green tech media research. What's on the horizon for you? What are you working on next how how What's getting you excited? How can others engage with you and while you're at it, go ahead and plug uh, your Twitter and some other and any of the other ways that people can reach you.
1: Sure. So right now I'm I'm working on our Latin America solar essentials report, which is kind of a compendium of information about the Latin America region, which I think will be a very useful tool for people who are doing work in Latin America and want to know tariffs and policies and taxes and all those things in order to craft a market entry strategy or just as a reference if you're working in the region. Um, So that's what I'm working on now. I think the thing that I'm the most excited about is that GTM is doing our first international conference in Mexico City on January 27th and 28th. Uh, it's going to be called Solar Summit Mexico, and we have a really fantastic roster of people lined up. We'll have our first of speakers coming up very soon. Uh, and so that's something I'm very, very excited about. I think it's striking while the iron's hot, and the Mexican market is a really great place for us to start elevating some of those companies who are doing really good work and in bringing international companies to the table. Uh, Some of the ways that you can get in touch with me, um, of course, I'm on Twitter, so at Adam underscore S underscore James, tweeting about all sorts of fun things with regards to electricity markets and tariff structures, which I know many of the listeners here will be falling off of their seats uh, to get updates on on a regular basis. And I do a lot on Latin America. You can join my newsletter uh, at tinyletter.com slash Adam James. Uh, and you can sign up for that or take a look at the archives there. Uh, So email me at james at gtmresearch.com. I try my best to be as responsive as possible and I love talking to folks, uh, you know, no matter how big or small your company is about what work you're doing and what is exciting you about the solar market today. Um, So I think those are the big points for me and um, and as Nico mentioned at the top, the thing that I work on every quarter is the Latin America PV Playbook. So you can see that at latampvplaybook.com
0: no shortage of ways to find Mr. Adam James, or as I like to refer to him, Hamas. He is charging in the Latin American market. He's blazing his own path, literally doing what no one really has done before him. And uh, that's commendable. Adam, let's end today with a bold prediction. This is something I want to institute at the end of the podcast every time. Now, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking, Adam? So what is your crystal ball telling you about what's going to happen 2015 or maybe 2016 in the Latin American market?
1: Well, uh, if we can go back to my crystal ball from last year, I would say that SolarCity is going to enter the Mexican market. But unfortunately, uh, that has now already happened. So (laughs) hopefully I haven't used up all of my predictive powers on that one. Um, But if you want, uh, go back and read my article from last August about um, that kind of coming to pass. I think as far as looking forward, the main big prediction that I would make is that we're going to see a tremendous amount of consolidation in the Mexican residential PV market over the next 12 months. um, And that by this time, next year, we will have a unequivocal national leader in residential PV in the Mexican solar sector.
0: All right, you heard it here first, folks. This time next year, September, going into SPI, there will be an unequivocal residential solar leader in the Mexico market. That's Adam James, Bold Prediction, here on the Latin America Solar Update. Really appreciate you guys joining for this, the first episode. Hope that you'll join for many more adam thanks for being on the show
1: thanks so much for having me
0: well i hope you got as much out of that time with adam as i did my friend we'll have to invite adam back for that part too and perhaps he can even become a regular contributor hey thanks for listening got a few housekeeping things want to take care of if you did enjoy Please share the love by heading over to iTunes and subscribing to the show. Stick around for a minute. I want to talk to you about the launch that we're having and some swag you could win. But while you're over in iTunes, consider leaving us a review and a rating. It's one concrete way you can let us know that you do want to hear more. Also, you can always find this and other episodes on www.mysuncast.com. In fact, if you do all those things you can get into a chance to win a $100 gift card to the online retailer of your choice. I'll be doing a drawing in the next two weeks so head on over to the website for details on how to win that gift card and keep your eye out on social media for other cool ways to win Suncast swag during the launch. Hey, one more thing before you go. Last month, two industry leaders came together to help form a new vehicle for industry collaboration and voice. Conergy one of the largest and most experienced downstream solar companies operating globally and next a leader of single axis trackers in latin america Launched the latin america and caribbean solar alliance or laxa for short The alliances mission is to spur initiatives among solar industry professionals doing business in latin america and the caribbean and to present a unified voice to advance solar industry goals the coalition aims to initiate and support policies that further solar deployment Likewise, the launch of SunCast is made possible in part through the help and support of Conergy, NextTracker, and LAXA. You can find out more of all three at www.conergy.com, www.nexttracker.com, and www.laxa.org. You can also find LAXA on LinkedIn, where 3,500 of your peers and professionals in the solar industry have joined us already in the laxa linkedin group latin american caribbean solar alliance that's it for this the inaugural episode of suncast please tune in tomorrow for the next episode where we feature none other than marco garcia chief operating officer of next tracker until next time stay informed my friend and stay tuned